Merry Christmas. It really is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? And it's not because of reindeer that dance or because of snowmen that sing. Christmas definitely isn't wonderful because of figgy pudding or moments spent under the mistletoe. Christmas is wonderful because we have been given the greatest gift of all time, a baby born in a manger. You know, when the angels made their pronouncement that night over Bethlehem so long ago, this is what they said. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is Carol McLeod, your host, and I hope you'll join me every weekday from now until Christmas as we celebrate this season in a joyful, holy, and meaningful way. And may I just say it one more time, Merry Christmas. We're going to go back in time today in this Christmas broadcast. We're not going to quite go all the way back to the manger, but instead today we're going to go back in time a century ago. The year was 1914. British soldiers were spending Christmas Eve on the battlefields of France during World War I. World War I was also called the Great War. Now, after only four months of fighting, more than a million men had perished in the bloody and horrific conflict. Bodies of dead soldiers were scattered between the trenches. And on December the 24th, 1914, in the middle of a freezing battlefield in France, a miracle happened. British troops watched in amazement as candlelit Christmas trees began to appear above the German trenches. Glowing trees soon appeared along the length of the entire German front. Henry Williamson, a young soldier with the London Regiment, wrote in his diary. From the German parapet, a rich baritone voice had begun to sing a song I remembered my German nurse singing to me. The grave and tender voice rose out of the frozen mist. It was all so strange, like being in another world. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. They finished their carol, and we thought that we ought to retaliate, another British soldier wrote. And rather than retaliating with the roar of a cannon or bullets from a rifle, the British contingent sang the first Noel. The angels did say was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. And when we finished singing the first Noel, all of the enemy troops began clapping for us. The enemy struck up O Tannenbaum, and on and on it went until we started singing on the British side of the front. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. It was at that moment that the Germans immediately joined in. And one British soldier noted in his journal that we were singing with the enemy. 
This was really a most extraordinary thing. Two nations both singing the same Christmas hymn, the same Christmas carol in the middle of a war zone. It's recorded that enemy soldiers greeted each other in the no man's land that had been a killing zone just hours previously. Soldiers wished each other Merry Christmas and agreed not to fire their rifles on Christmas Day. This spontaneous ceasefire eventually embraced much of a 500-mile stretch of the Western Front. According to the reports of soldiers at the scene, hundreds of thousands of soldiers celebrated the birth of the Prince of Peace among the bodies of their dead. Other soldiers told of how the enemies exchanged badges and buttons from their uniforms. Others shared photos of wives and children, and some even exchanged addresses and promised to write after the Great War ended. German troops rolled out barrels of dark German beer, and the British reciprocated with offerings of plum pudding. Some soldiers produced soccer balls, and a spirited match broke out as fellow soldiers shouted encouragement. At one location along the front, the men who just the day before had sought to kill one another now gathered together to bury their dead. Together with their heads uncovered, they held a service to memorialize their fallen comrades. British and German soldiers buried together, buried in the same graves. A solitary voice began to sing, Silent Night in French. He was joined by another voice, this one singing in German, And finally, the words were sung in English. Now, what do you think that Christmas is all about? I hope that you'll agree with me that Christmas is about the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, the baby born in a manger, invading this war zone that we call planet Earth. I hope that you'll agree with me that Christmas is about giving what you cannot afford to give to those who certainly do not deserve it. Christmas is about looking into the faces of those around you and singing, singing out loud, singing the great hymns of faith in spite of the differences perceived. It's about laying aside our weapons and welcoming the gift of friendship. Who do you need to bring peace with this Christmas season? Who do you need to give something to that you cannot afford to give? The Bible says it this way, a child has been born for us, the gift of a son for us. Now that first Christmas over 2,000 years ago was indeed all about presents. It was about a gift that came from heaven with your name on it. And it was signed with love from God. Oh, Maybe it wasn't wrapped in expensive red paper or tied with a bow of gold, 
but it was a gift just the same. It was a gift that someone had carefully chosen just for you. It was a present that you would not be able to live without that would change your life forever. A gift has been given. It was a baby in a manger. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his son, he gave his only son into the war zone of planet earth so that nothing of the enemy's power would ever be evident in your life again. You know, when you love somebody, you have to give, don't you? You just have to give. You just can't hold back something that is in your power to delight the one who is the object of your love and of your affection. God loved you enough to give you what you wanted most of all. He loved you enough to give you unconditional love and a song in your heart. The question is this, will you receive God's unconditional love for you this Christmas season? Do you care about someone else enough to give them the gift of God's unconditional love this Christmas season? I am praying for you. I'm praying for all of my radio listeners today that because you know the Christ of Christmas, that you will care enough, that you will love deeply enough not to keep the message for yourself, but that you will give away the life of this baby in a manger. Who in your world is in enemy territory that you need to reach out to and sing the song of Christmas over their lives? Who is it in your world that you need to pray for, reach out to, and bring them the gift of the baby in a manger? Will you respond to the gift of heaven? How will you respond? Perhaps you will respond like the soldiers of World War I with a song that just cannot be kept inside your lonely life. My prayer is that the song of Christmas, the song of heaven will resound through your life this year. My prayer is that the song that the angel sang that night in Bethlehem, that you, my friend, will sing too when you're in long lines at the post office, when you're with relatives in your dysfunctional family, when you look at the bills that you have to pay. My prayer is that the song of the angel angels will be sung over your life. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. You see, God cares about your relationships. God cares about the personal battles that you find yourself in this holiday season. And God's gift to you today is peace among men. My prayer for you is that you will reach out with song and love to those you have been estranged from. See, Jesus 
came from heaven to change your life from a battlefield of destruction into a place of joy and peace. My prayer for you is that because you have received this gift, that you also will offer this gift to those in your lives this Christmas season. Joy to the world. The Lord really has come. What are you waiting for this Christmas? What are you praying for this Christmas? It might seem like you've prayed for years and years and years, and your prayers remain unanswered. I'd like to tell you a story today. It's a Christmas story about a family who had prayed and prayed and prayed for a prodigal to come home. I believe that Christmas is a time of extraordinary miracles. It is a time when our prayers meet the grandeur of heaven and God listens and God's answers explode over the darkness of our lives, just like the angel song exploded over Bethlehem. Let me tell you my story and then we'll close with a scripture. Life had always been good for the Murrays. There was a dad and a mom, two daughters, a son, and then the expected assortment of cats, dogs, and goldfish throughout the years. Trisha, Robert, and Annie were raised in the days of hula hoops and Schwinn bicycles. They watched Captain Kangaroo on the TV and spent Sunday mornings in Sunday school with their cousins. When the three Murray children hit the teenage years, their parents prayed harder and spent extra hours with them knowing the challenges that teenagers were facing. The girls, Trisha and Annie, seemed to do just fine, but the son, Robert, sandwiched between two outgoing and popular sisters, had a more difficult time finding his niche in life. He played sports, but was never the star. He didn't flunk out of school, but he never made the honor roll. Robert didn't really cause any trouble in the classroom, but he never really captured any teacher's attention either. Robert became sorely and difficult as a teenager. He was disrespectful to his dad and argumentative with his sisters. In 1969, after only one year at the community college, Robert decided to join the Army. He spent two years in Vietnam, and when he came home, his life had been blown apart by the consequences of battle. The entire family welcomed him home enthusiastically, but Robert didn't know how to fit in. He didn't know how to have a normal conversation. Robert spent only a couple of weeks in his childhood bedroom and then disappeared. He left early one morning before his parents were up and left a nearly illegible note on the kitchen counter. I need to get away. I'll, I'll come back when I'm ready. I really do love you, Robert. Mr. and Mrs. Murray immediately prayed together at the kitchen table. They prayed for their boy. They prayed that he would quickly find his way back home. They asked God to protect Robert and to heal his broken heart. Well, nearly three years passed by with no word from Robert 
absolutely no word from him. There were no Christmas cards. There were no Mother's Day phone calls, no postcards telling his family that he was well in faraway places. Trisha and Annie were married and had enough children between them to fill their parents' hearts. But Mr. and Mrs. Murray never stopped looking. They never stopped hoping, and they never stopped believing that one day, Robert would show up again. They prayed every day for Robert. They didn't miss one day. When other couples were selling the family home and downsizing, Mr. and Mrs. Murray stayed where they were. They didn't want to move and make it impossible for Robert to find them. And so they decided not to spend winters in Florida, but to brave the difficult winters just in case Robert, their boy, called the family number. Their whole life was built around praying and waiting and looking and hoping and believing. Trisha and Annie tried to have their parents deal with reality and face the facts. Mom, Robert might not be alive anymore. If he wanted you to know where he was, he would have called you. Well, on the third Christmas Eve that Robert had been gone, Mr. and Mrs. Murray received a letter from a French orphanage in Vietnam. It was from the headmistress at the orphanage who said that a little girl had been dropped off at the front door by her mother. The little girl, who was about three and a half, had a note attached to her wrist, and it was tied with a white silk scarf. The note was written in beautiful French and said, Robert, you never came back for me. My family would not accept me any longer or our child. I pray that you will accept our child. At the end of the note was Robert's name and home address. The French headmistress was overcome with children such as these and was wondering would Robert be willing to accept this child, this little girl. The Murray's at that point, still didn't know where Robert was, but they were ready to love his little girl. And so after months of government red tape and heartfelt prayers, little Angel Marie arrived home that summer. She loved her cousins and basked in the love of her grandparents. She looked longingly at her father's picture on the mantle of the Murray family fireplace. Often she would ask her grandmother, Grandmama, where is my father? Does he love me? Well, after five more Christmases and five more birthdays and five endless winters, the phone at the Murray home rang one December afternoon. When Mr. Murray picked up the phone, he heard a familiar, Hi, Dad, and he fell to his knees. Robert humbly told his story. He had fallen into a world of drug abuse and homelessness. I knew that I should have called you, but I was too ashamed of what my life had become. I finally decided last Christmas to end it all, to take my life, and you would never need to know. That night I bought one last bottle of whiskey. I intended to drink it and then to use the glass to slash my wrists. A man came and sat down beside me, and I poured out my heart to him in my drunken stupor, and he took me to a church, a church that opened its doors to men like me. Broken and lost shadows of humanities were welcome at this church, 
And I took a shower. I ate a hot meal, and I slept on a cot. There were only two requirements in order to stay here. You had to attend church, and you had to stay sober. Dad, the man who found me, was a Vietnam vet too, but he had dealt with his battle fatigue with faith and not with drugs and alcohol. This Vietnam vet, Dad, introduced me to faith in God and faith in the Bible and faith in prayer. Pastor Ben was his name, and he has discipled me back into wholeness. Dad, I'm a new man. May I come home? Mr. Murray told his son to come home. Son, we're waiting for you, and so is someone else. Angel Marie's grandfather told Robert all about his little girl and said that they would all be waiting for him at the airport. Robert had tears streaming down his face when he embraced his mother and his father. But when he saw his little girl, there was nothing but pure joy. He shyly handled her a bouquet of flowers and gently said, This was your mother's favorite kind. She smiled and threw her arms around his neck. Daddy, we've been praying for you, and now you're home. Robert found not condemnation or accusation at the family home, but he found security and unconditional love. Robert asked his parents to forgive his cruel parting, his unthinkable silence, and his horrible choices. Robert's mother took her son's face in her hands and said, Robert, I am your mother. I gave life to you, and now you have brought life back to us. Robert, I've never stopped waiting and hoping. I've never stopped loving you unconditionally. I want to ask you tonight, my friends who are listening, who have you been praying for? Or perhaps I should put it this way, who has been praying for you to find your way home? You know, when the angels came to announce the birth of Jesus Christ, they announced glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. This is what I believe. I believe that God knew that life on planet Earth would not be perfect. And so he instituted a better plan, the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to bring peace among men. He came to bring peace in our family relationships and in the workplace. And believe it or not, he also came to bring peace in world governments and in political systems. Jesus came to bring peace to families and to hearts. You know, when I read that familiar Christmas scripture, one thing stands out to me. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Worshiping God, the glory to God in the highest part precedes the peace among men part. So if you've been looking for peace in your heart, for peace in your home, and for peace in your family, perhaps where it really starts is with your response to God. One of my favorite Psalms is this one. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Maybe somebody has been waiting for you to come home. Maybe you're waiting for somebody else to come home. And I want to tell you this Christmas season that God hears us when we pray. He inclines his ear toward his children. And your breakthrough, your healing, your loved one coming home 
might be just one prayer away. Sometimes it's just good to admit your addictions, isn't it? And I admit it. I'm coming clean today. I love everything about Christmas. I'm addicted to it. I love the crowds and the cooking. I love the busyness and the bright lights. I love the music and the manger scenes and the gifts and the cards. All of it just sends my soul into a soaring ecstasy of delight. I have to admit it. If there's such a thing as being drunk with Christmas, that's my affliction. It is my drug of choice. I even try to stretch the season out from October 1st to January the 2nd. Three entire months of Christmas music and the smell of pine wafting through my house. Yes, it's true. We begin listening to Christmas music every year on October 1st, and that's when I start burning my Christmas candles as well. Most people will only allow me to express it for three months because I get on their Scrooge-like nerves. But what I have had to learn, and now it's my joy to teach others, is that Christmas is not about having the opportunity to celebrate an occasion that I enjoy. Christmas is about the extravagant joy of heaven being lavishly splashed into our world. And so that's what we're doing the entire month of December on Defiant Joy Radio. We're talking about Christmas. We're talking about the parts of Christmas that truly only matter. We're digging deeply into the Word of God and into the Christmas story and applying the truths found there to our lives today. So let's turn in our Bibles together to Luke chapter 1. We left Mary there yesterday being confronted by an angel who came to her and said, you have found favor with God. But Mary was perplexed. She kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Let's read Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 34. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? I believe that for Mary, Christmas was about understanding that God's ways really are higher than our ways. That when divinity invades humanity, divinity always wins. Christmas is a reminder to me and to all who will listen that his ways are so much higher than our ways. Christmas has nothing to do with dancing elves, with reindeer with red noses and snowmen who sing. Christmas is about an invasion. It's the invasion of heaven into the darkness of earth. Christmas causes the worst of sinners to ponder what kind of salutation Christmas brings. You see, either Christmas is a lie, a bold-faced lie, or it is ultimate and resounding truth. 
Either the manger can be put in the same category as elves, jolly old St. Nicholas, and flying reindeer, or it is absolute, undeniable, eternal truth. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. See, Christmas is not about the holiday spirit. Christmas is about the Holy Spirit. Christmas is about the power of heaven entering one solitary life. Christmas is about the plans and purposes of your life being overshadowed by all that he is and all that he does. In Luke 1, 35, the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The power of the Holy Spirit is a creative energy and it births newness. Something that was impossible is now possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It happened for Mary and it can happen for you. The same God who sent this angel messenger to Mary has incredible plans for your life this Christmas season as well. I want to challenge you today. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, overshadow me this Christmas season. Holy Spirit, overshadow my dreams and my preferences and my opinions. Are you brave enough to pray? Holy Spirit, birth something new and grand in me. Create something in me that will change this generation for the cause of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1, verses 36 and 37. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible for God. You know what I believe? I believe that for Mary and for all of us, Christmas is about our lives colliding with the truth found in this one statement in Luke 1.37, for nothing will be impossible with God. You see, when Christmas comes around every year, we must focus on his divinity and not on our humanity. We must partner with his power and not all of our impossible situations. When Christmas comes, we must have the faith that nothing is impossible with God. What impossibility are you facing this Christmas season? Are you in a battle for your health? Or is someone you love in a battle for their health? Is your life just inundated by bills and bills and more bills? Are you in a relationship that just seems to be falling apart? Has one of your children run away from home? Is someone you love dealing with addiction? All those situations and so many more scream the word impossible at us. But at Christmas time, when the Holy Spirit has come to overshadow your life with his newness, 
Your father in heaven wants you to understand that nothing is impossible with God. So bring your impossibilities to God this Christmas season and declare just like the angel did over the life of Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. You know, most of us go through the Christmas season focused on self, on what we want, a husband, a diamond, our children to come home and hang out with us, our mother-in-law to stay far away from us. We all want a Christmas bonus or somebody to clean our house. We all want the perfect Christmas gift. We all want a shining, beautiful, well-decorated home. If that is your idea of the perfect Christmas, may I just tell you that your Christmas dreams are small. They are much, much too small. If those are your Christmas dreams, you're missing it. You're missing the lesson, the hard lesson that Mary teaches all of us in the 21st century. Our plans pale in comparison to his divine interruptions. You know, as I read these verses in Luke chapter 1, what these verses don't describe is the public outrage that Mary had yet to face. Perhaps the purest girl in the entire village was suddenly spat upon. She was cursed as she walked by. She was known as a loose woman. Perhaps now as Mary walked into the village to get water from the well for her family, she heard the coarse language of men, innuendos, and nasty laughter. And we think that we're being persecuted when we can't put up a manger scene or when no one says Merry Christmas to us. Listen, Christmas is not about you. Christmas is about dying to you, about dying to self and about living for his purposes. You know, the people not mentioned in these verses are Mary and Joseph's parents. As a parent, I can only imagine the pain that they were going through. No big wedding for their perfect daughter. Jewish fathers started saving money from the day of a daughter's birth for her wedding. The festivities were to go on and on for days and days and days. But now there would be no church wedding, no wine, no days of eating and dancing. These parents were just dealing with shame. They were dealing with wagging tongues and the departure of their beloved daughter who was supposed to grow up, get married, have babies, and live next door to them. Christmas for Mary and Joseph and for their families was not about personal desire fulfilled or expectations met. It was about loving a family member in spite of difficult circumstances. Christmas is not about me. It's about Christ revealing himself in me. And that's something to celebrate. That's something to sing about. I'd like to tell you a Christmas story today. It's a true story, but of course, I've changed the names and a few of the distinguishing details to protect the people involved. 
Brad and Karen were born only 11 months apart. They were adopted, actually, into a home that had been yearning for children for over a decade. Although not biological siblings, Brad and Karen were joined at the heart. When the empty arms of their parents were filled with not just one, but two little ones, within the short span of a year, they couldn't contain their joy. Brad, the elder, was born the week before Christmas and was in the arms of his adoptive parents on Christmas Eve. Karen was born the next year, the week before Thanksgiving, and you guessed it, they had much to be thankful for that year. 11-month-old Brad and his parents picked her up at the hospital on Thanksgiving morning. Brad and Karen enjoyed all of the perks and delights that children raised in the 50s and 60s in America knew as ordinary ballet lessons and basketball games, Barbie dolls and G.I. Joes, a treehouse for Brad and a playhouse for Karen. Every birthday was celebrated as if it were a national holiday, and annual family vacations were spent at Disneyland, the family home at the lake, and skiing in Colorado. The holidays were always spectacular events at this home. Hundreds of lights adorned the roof and trees and shrubbery, but what happened inside was more spectacular than any decoration found outside. As this family of four sat around the Christmas tree year after year on Christmas Eve, their dad would read the Christmas story. And at the end of the story, the children would hear the miracle of their individual births and how they came from far away to live with a mom and a dad who had been waiting. The parents would be crying and through their tears they would say, the baby in the manger is why we believe and we believe for you. Will you believe in the baby in the manger? In their preschool voices, Brad and Karen would say, I believe. And then in their childhood voices, they would echo back, I believe. And finally, as teenagers, they would declare as if one voice, I believe. Brad and Karen loved each other dearly and never seemed to notice the differences in the shape of their eyes, the hue of the skin, or the texture of their hair. Karen was Brad's champion in life, his cheerleader, and his personal tutor. What he lacked in IQ and talent, Karen more than made up for in simply believing in her brother. When Karen and Brad reached high school aged, Karen remained the steady one, filled with joy and the delight of life. But Brad was filled with questions and low self-esteem and blame. Brad tried to attend the local community college after high school graduation, but without Karen at his side, he was a miserable failure. Karen was accepted into colleges too numerous to mention, and her parents encouraged her to make her dreams come true while Brad stayed at home. Karen graduated from a Christian college with a degree in music. Brad worked in bars and at filling stations, mowing lawns and shoveling snow. He never lasted anywhere too long, but retreated into his solitary existence. Karen married her college sweetheart, and Brad gave her away because their dad had passed away several years earlier. Karen and her husband moved into the family home to help take care of her aging mother and to once again build that precious relationship with her brother, Brad. When Karen and her husband announced they were expecting, Brad felt it was time to make it on his own. By then, he was 26 years old and still had enough virtue in his soul to believe that he could not depend 
depend on his mother and sister forever. And so, the day after Karen's November birthday, he packed his duffel bags and went whistling off to the train station. Karen stood at the doorway with her mother, tears streaming down her cheeks, missing Brad while watching him saunter down the neighborhood street. That was the last time Karen saw Brad for 28 years. Brad disappeared into a world of homelessness, drugs, and alcohol. During these 28 years, Brad's mother died, and Karen's three children grew up. But Karen never stopped looking for her brother, her childhood companion, and her dearest friend. She and her husband had hired private detectives, put up posters, and called friends in distant cities to look for him. But 28 years passed, 28 Christmases and 28 birthdays, nearly three decades of life. On December 22, 2000, Karen received a phone call from a hospital in Houston. Her brother was there, and they had found her name and number in his wallet. Brad was dying of stomach cancer and had been found on the streets of a southern city, homeless and nearly lifeless. Karen and her husband and grown children all boarded a plane the next day to spend Christmas with Uncle Brad. By then, he had checked out of the hospital and was once again back on the streets living in a cardboard box and in pain. Karen and her family rushed to the place where the nurses told them that Brad might be. There was no family reunion. There was no hallmark ending. Just a blank stare at the family who had been praying for years. Karen sat on the pavement in her designer jeans beside Brad, who was curled up in a fetal position, not only in physical pain, but also in fear of these people. Karen tried to touch him, and he recoiled. Karen gently spoke of childhood memories, but he turned his back to her. Karen and her family came back every day for a week, bringing food and a blanket and pieces of clothing. But Brad never once looked at her, nor did he speak a word. At the end of the holiday week, Karen's husband said that they had tried their best and that she had poured out her heart, but it was time to take the family and go home. Karen wouldn't go. She said that she would rent an apartment in the city and stay until he remembered. And so Karen stood at the airport waving goodbye to her family who promised to visit often. And she settled into her one-room apartment and a calling to win back her brother. Every day for nearly a year, Karen went to the streets of the inner city and sat by Brad. She read to him. She read comic books that he used to have. She read Tom Sawyer, his favorite childhood book, and of course the family Bible. But Brad never said a word. Karen brought her computer and showed him family pictures and told him that their mom was now in heaven. A tear running down his cheek spoke volumes to Karen. She sang him childhood songs and Beatles songs and the great hymns of the faith. Slowly but surely, Karen was carving out a new place in Brad's mind and in his heart. Karen's family came to see her often and joined her on her daily assignment to love Brad back to health. As summer turned to autumn and the season turned toward Thanksgiving, Brad finally said her name. Karen, where were you? I couldn't find you. Karen knew at that moment that she could take her brother home. 
They boarded the plane together and sat in first class, she with manicured nails and expensive jewelry, he with gray hair down his back and an odor that caused heads to turn. He was met at the airport quietly with no fanfare, but with open arms to a family who had waited a lifetime to love Uncle Brad. Brad spent the happiest month of his life at the family home. Karen cooked and they all ate. He just sat and smiled while his nieces chattered away. Karen talked to him about faith and Jesus and told him the Bible stories that they had learned in Sunday school. On Christmas Eve, with the family gathered around the tree, Karen's husband read the Christmas story. And at the end of the story, Brad looked at Karen and in a strong voice said, Karen, I believe in the baby in the manger. Thank you for believing in me. When Karen went in to wake Brad on Christmas morning, he was gone. Oh, not out into the streets of homelessness, but onto the golden streets of heaven. Have you, like Brad, ever run away? You know, everybody is running away from something. Some people run away from responsibility into a world of video games, QVC, or unhealthy friendships. Some people run away from their past into a mental haze of fantasies, hero worship, or bitterness. Some people run away from their future and find themselves locked into dead-end jobs, regrets as enormous as Mount Everest, or a life wasted on soap operas. Have you ever run away from anything? Some people run away from situations and other people run away from other people. You could never please your mother, so you ran into an early regrettable marriage. Your boss was cruel and controlling, so you quit and ran into a cycle of relentless guilt and financial baggage. You married the wrong guy, and so you ran away from him only to find in your second marriage that the first guy wasn't so bad after all. Have you ever run away? Have you ever been so fed up with your life that you have ceased to engage with the people around you, with the reality of your daily existence? The good news is this. You, too, have someone looking for you, someone who loves you enough to track you down, to search high and low, to leave the comfort of home for the coldness of your life. This person who can't bear the thought of you in pain is your sibling. The Bible calls him your older brother. When Jesus finds us, we act a whole lot like Brad did. We're afraid and turn our back. We're filled with shame and guilt. But Jesus doesn't leave. He lingers at the boundaries that you have unfairly set. Jesus understands that we don't understand. He knows that we're near death and doesn't want us to die alone. And like Karen, he wants us to believe before it's too late. You are being tracked down every day of your life. God is not giving up on you. I hope that today's program reminded you what the heart of Christmas is truly all about. I love spending this time with you. And from my heart to yours, Merry Christmas.